Hello friends, I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Pastor Christopher Alam at home in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We're in the subject of the blood covenant. And uh, we are talking about uh, the past few days, we've been talking about why the new covenant is far greater and superior to the old covenant. And I think I've given you about 18 different reasons, 18 different points, but now let's go to point number 19 which is actually a short one, but it says in the old covenant, the law was written on stone tablets, while in the new covenant, the law was written in people's hearts. That is um, the reason number 19, why the new covenant is superior to and greater than the old covenant. In the old covenant, the law was written in stone tablets, while in the new covenant, the law is written in people's hearts. So 2 Corinthians 3 verse 3, it says here, uh, he says, Paul writes to the church, he says, <coughs> clearly you are an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tables, on tablets of flesh, that is the heart. So Paul is, is telling the believers in Corinth, he says that you are an epistle of Christ, you are the epistle of Christ, the, the letter of Christ, the word of Christ. He says, you are the epistle of Christ ministered by us, not written by ink on paper, but by the spirit of the living God. And you are not, you're not like written on tablets of stone, but you are the epistles of Christ, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the flesh that is the heart. So in the old covenant, um, it was uh, the old covenant was on tablets of stone. Moses came down with stone tablets from the mountain. But in the new covenant, God writes his law, his word, not on tablets of stone, but in the hearts of men. Hallelujah. Reason number 20, why, why the new covenant is greater than the old covenant. And that is in the old covenant, the old covenant demanded works while the new commandment, the new covenant only demands faith. The old covenant demands works, while the new covenant demands only faith. Let me read to you from Romans 9 verses 30 to 33. It says, so what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Now, this is interesting. It says uh, that the Gentiles, that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, who didn't work for righteousness, they have attained righteousness. The Gentiles, I mean, who were far from God. Remember when Jesus said to the uh, Pharisees, he says, the publicans and the sinners are coming to the kingdom of God before you. And publicans were actually uh, people who owned bars, you know, uh, they were people who owned drinking places. And Jesus said uh, to the Pharisees, he says, you know what? He says, the sinners, sinners who are outsiders, are coming into the kingdom of God before you. And he, that he said to the religious uh, Pharisees. So 
Romans, in Romans he says, so what shall we say then? The Gentiles, that means the outsiders, the heathen, who did not pursue righteousness, who did not like follow after righteousness or pursue righteousness, they have attained righteousness. They have received righteousness. Even the righteousness of faith, it means they, that they received their righteousness, but they received it by faith. They received right standing with God. Righteousness actually means right standing with God. Righteousness means to stand in the, to be able to stand in the presence of God without guilt, without sin consciousness, without uh, uh, inferiority complex that you may say. So this is what righteousness is. When a man is able to stand before God and it has nothing to do with his works or, or what he is like as a person, but when a man is able to stand before God without any consciousness of guilt and without any an inferiority complex and he can stand totally upright before God, but that not based on his own works, but on the works of Jesus Christ upon the cross. And but then here's the interesting thing that when a man stands in that righteousness, right, he has he receives this righteousness as a gift of God. It is imputed to him. He becomes a new creation in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. All things have become new. And as he stands in this righteousness without uh, that, he stands and he understands he is loved and accepted by God just as he is and that he can stand before God without guilt, without an inferiority complex, without condemnation, and that based only on the works of Jesus alone and not on his own works. You know what happens is that over time we begin to see the fruits of that righteousness rise up in his life. We begin to see his character, his talk, his walk, his behavior, lining up with that righteousness, which is a gift of God. He begins to line up. Now, that is how you know whether a person is saved, because if he claims to be righteous, oh, I believe in Jesus, I have this righteousness from God and I am saved. But you watch him over time, one year, two years, three years, four years, and there's no change in his character. There's no change in his speech. There's no change in the way uh, you know, he, he, he treats people. There's, there's no change in his character. Then you know that, well, this man, as they say in America, so-and-so got religion. He got, re he's go he got religious. He'd learned some religious talk, some religious, you know, um, claiming to be a Christian, but there's no fruit. And Jesus said in, uh, the, in, in Matthew 7, by your fruits, you shall know them. But when a person really receives this righteousness by faith, it does have an effect in his life and there is fruit in his life. So you can see over some time that it is not just about a person saying he's a believer, uh, he's a righteousness, but his character and his works and his speech, his behavior speaks for him and tells everybody truly he is a man who's a new creation in Christ. He has been touched by God. So anyway, I, I just had to say this, but, but here's the thing. It says that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness they have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. They received it by faith. But he says, but Israel, but the Jews who pursued the righteousness, the Gentiles didn't pursue righteousness, but they received it by faith. But Israel pursuing, I mean, running after the law of righteousness, they have not attained 
the, to the law of righteousness. You see the Pharisees, you know, um, pointing out people's faults at every little thing and holding up the letter of the law, putting people under condemnation. If you look at their real motive for doing so, it's because they wanted righteousness. They wanted to please God, but they never attained it. That's, it's kind of a bit of an irony here that the outsiders, the Gentiles, who did not pursue after righteousness, attained righteousness by faith. But Israel, who pursued after righteousness, did not receive any righteousness. Then verse 32 tells us why. The reason, because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. So, so what happened is that why didn't the, the, the Pharisees whom, who, you know, they uh, had all the religious behavior, but they did not attain to righteousness, but the Gentiles who were outside, they attained to righteousness. Why? <coughs> it says, because the Gentiles sought it by faith, but the Pharisees sought it by the works of the law. But that's what they did. Now, the Pharisees sought it by the works of the law. Now, but why didn't those Pharisees seek it by faith? Well, because they stumbled at that stumbling stone. Jesus Christ was the stumbling stone. Jesus Christ was a big stumbling block for them because he did everything that was in a way that was different to their preconceived ideas. I mean, he did the right thing. He, everything he did was according to the scripture. He preached the word of God and he healed the sick. He did miracles. He had all the signs that showed that he was the Messiah. And they, in fact, there were times they went to find fault with him. You know, like remember when they brought the woman who was going to be stoned for adultery and they, and they said to Jesus, well, Moses said we should stone this woman. What do you say? You know, and there were other tests. And then when uh, Jesus was uh, preaching in the house of uh, Peter in Capernaum and then the place was full of Pharisees that come from Jerusalem, Judea and from, uh, from, you know, from the West Bank, from Galilee, from everywhere. And the, why did these people come? Whenever you have Pharisees and priests coming to Jesus, with the exception of Nicodemus, actually most of the time, if not all the time, they were there to find fault with Jesus. So he was a stumbling block for them. He was a stumbling block. All that he was and uh, everything that he said and did was a stumbling block for them, not because he did anything that was contrary to the scripture, but he did everything in a manner that challenged their religious perceptions because they had their own preconceived ideas and Jesus did not fit into their stereotype, didn't fit into their preconceived ideas. They didn't hold him up against the scripture. They say, okay, this is what Jesus is doing and this is what the Bible is doing. So is Jesus doing anything that is contrary to the scriptures? They never even bothered about that. But the thing that they bothered about, did he act in accordance with our traditions or against our traditions? So the one thing where Jesus did breach the rules is that he, 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 he did things differently to their traditional preconceived ideas 
and although he, according to the scripture he was without sin without blame but that is why he was a stumbling block and because he was a stumbling block they kept on ignoring this wonderful righteousness that was available by faith and they sought it under the law and so what happened all those people all those sinners like the Phoenician woman and uh, you know all people who came from far away and people who were sinners like the prostitute who came and washed his feet I mean people like that attained the righteousness of God but those who um, uh, why because they got it by faith I got my righteousness by faith but those people Pharisees you might say they were maybe cleaner living better human beings in many ways than you and I but they missed it altogether because they did not seek it by faith but they sought it by the works of the law and why? Because they stumbled at the stumbling stone, and that is Jesus. And Galatians 2.19 says, Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. So he writes to the Galatians, and says that a man, basically a man cannot be justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. And we who have believed in Christ and we are justified by the faith of Christ and we are not justified by the works of the law. Why? Because for the, by the works of the law, no man can ever be justified by, before God. Okay, the reason number 21, while, uh, why the reason number 21 why the new covenant is far greater and far superior to the old covenant. We find it in Galatians chapter 3 verses 19 and 20 and then two other scriptures and I'm going to read it to you. So it says, this is what the, in Galatians it says, what then was the purpose of the law? Why did God give the law after the covenant? You know, God gave the covenant and he gave, he added the law onto them. He says, why? It, then it tells us why. It was added later on after the promise to disclose and expose to men their guilt because of transgressions and to make men more consciousness of the sinfulness of sin. And it was intended to be in effect until the seed, the descendant, the heir that is Christ, should come to and concerning whom the promise had been made. And if the law was arranged and ordained and appointed to the instrumentality of angels and was given, I'm reading from the Amplified. That's why it's so long. But the Amplified explains it very well because sometimes when you read the King James and other translations, it says something straight out and you then you read it and you say, okay, fine. So what does this say? But when you go to the Amplified, and I do that often, it really gives you the nuances of meaning, you know, and so you, you understand, you get a clearer understanding. So he says, and the law was arranged and ordained and appointed through the instrumentality of angels and was given by the hand in the person of a go-between Moses, an intermediary person between God and man. Now, a go-between and intermediary has to do with and implies more than one party. There can be no mediator with only one person. Yet God is only one person and he was the sole party in giving the promise to Abraham. But the law was a contract between two, God and Israel. Its validity was dependent upon both. Now this is, this is, I mean, 
fascinating. So, because it tells us why God gave the law. When God had such a wonderful covenant, why did he give the law? Well, God, because the law came 430 years after God made the covenant. God first made the covenant and 430 years later he gave the law. So, we had this wonderful old covenant from Abraham to Moses and then God gives the law. Why? He says the law was added and the purpose was it to disclose and to expose to men their guilt and to make them more consciousness of sin. Because you see, the covenant didn't, um, didn't expose sin, but the law exposed sin. Because when you try to live under the law of God, you become conscious of your own guilt and you become conscious of your own guilt. You become conscious of your sin. So it, it, it brings you to the place where you see your need for repentance and you see your need for change and you see your need for a savior. So that was the purpose of the law because the Bible also says that the law was a schoolmaster. In Galatians it says the law was a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. So the whole purpose of the law was never that man should attain righteousness by the law because God knew it right from the beginning that man with his nature was incapable of pleasing God through the law. But he added the law so that people would become conscious of their sin, conscious of their guilt, and and they would turn to they would turn to the Savior. They would turn to the Savior and there would be repentance, you know, and change. So it says this law was added and it was intended to be effect until the seed should come. That means the law was intended by God to be in effect until Jesus would come. Actually, uh, this is in Galatians and Jesus, Jesus is writing to the Judaizers and the Judaizers were the people who were saying, okay, you believe in Jesus, but you must go back and live under the law. So what Paul is saying that the law to those people, he's, and I mean to the church in Galatia explaining to them, he said that the law was given to, uh, to make people consciousness of their guilt and to make them uh, consciousness of uh, conscious of their need for repentance and of their need for the Savior. And then it says it was intended. These are the words of Paul. It was intended. The law was intended to be in effect until the seed, the descendant, the heir, that is Jesus should come to and concerning whom the promises had been made. Right. And it says, and then it says, and the law was arranged and ordained and appointed through the instrumentality of angels and was given in the person of a go of a go between Moses. So it says the law was brought by angels. Actually, the word angels here is the word angelos, which actually doesn't mean guys flying around with wings. It actually means a messenger. So uh, many, many times, you know, because see, you have you've got heavenly messengers, you have earthly messengers, what we call angels, that's a heavenly messenger, and God speaks through angels, but there's prophets, there's people God speaks through. And they're also, uh, the Greek word is the same uh, for, uh, uh, for a messenger, angelos, whether it's referring to heavenly angels, uh, spirit, you know, heavenly creatures, or to earthly creatures, angelos, that means if a prophet speaks the word of God and gives a word, that's, he's also an angelos, because he's carrying a message. So what he's saying is that the law was was given through messengers and it was brought by the hand of Moses, who was an intermediary between God and man. So 
what's happening is that then it says a go between an intermediary means that there is two parties so for example if there's two parties right so what happens a message is goes from the first party one to party two there's an intermediary and go between who carries that message so if there's only one person involved then you don't need an intermediary because an intermediary is needed when there's two people involved so the message if you're talking about one person makes a decision to do something you don't need an intermediary but when there's two people involved then there's a go between so what he's saying is that the law uh, or you know it it had an intermediary it, it was that was moses <coughs> because god spoke to moses and moses was the one who brought the stone tablets from god to man so moses was the one who brought the law of god from god to man and in that he spoke from god to man he was the intermediary okay and uh, and then it says yet god is one person uh, and he is the he was the sole party in giving that promise to abraham that means moses was the one who uh, you know god, god spoke to abraham but the law was a contract between the two god and israel and its validity was dependent upon both and so what happened moses was the intermediary between god and man but in the new covenant moses is not the intermediary but jesus is the intermediary and that is why the new covenant is much greater than the old because in the old it was a man who was an intermediary but in the new it is jesus christ himself who is the intermediary in 1 timothy 2:5 it says for there is one god and one mediator between god and man the man jesus christ and it says in hebrews 8:6 but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry um he uh, in as much he is also a mediator for a new covenant a better covenant which was established on better promises hallelujah praise god now reason number 22 why the new covenant is greater than the old was that the old covenant was of the letter while the new covenant is of the spirit the old covenant was of the letter of the law and the new covenant is of the holy spirit second corinthians chapter 3 verse 6 it says it is he who has qualified us making us to be fit and worthy and sufficient as ministers and dispensers of a new covenant of salvation through Christ not ministers of the letter of legally written code i'm re- again reading from the amplified that's why there's so many words in here but of the spirit for the code of the law kills but the holy spirit makes alive amen so what he's saying is that paul is saying um you know telling the corinthians that that um uh, god has qualified us and made us fit and worthy and sufficient as ministers and dispensers of a new covenant so he says there's an old covenant but we are not called to preach the old covenant we are not called to preach the old covenant and we preach the full counsel of the word of god of course we do we do preach the the whole word of god and we have to we have to preach the old testament we have to preach the new testament but 
when we preach the Old Testament, we have to preach into the, in the context of Jesus, in the context of the cross. So what legalism does, legalism actually uh, is r reading and preaching the Old Testament, but without the grace of Jesus Christ involved in it. Uh, and you preach the Old Testament like um, as if the Old Testament is the only book that exists. So what I'm saying is that, um, you know, you you read the scriptures in the Old Testament, thou shall not do this, thou shall not do that. And then you, you do that to hammer people and to condemn them and tell them that, you know, you preach condemnation, you preach judgment and tell them God is going to judge you. But you don't preach Christ and his cross because that is the only hope the only chance a man has to be free from the the condemnation of sin and death so uh, when we preach the old testament in the context of christ in the context of the cross we preach the old testament but it always points to jesus because jesus said about the holy spirit he said he shall glorify me and he shall take that which is of mine and make it known unto you. So the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. So if we are anointed to preach the gospel and we preach under the anointing, no matter what we preach may be very tough. And sometimes we have to uh, <laughs> preach tough and we have to preach hard. And especially when you start preaching about sin and righteousness, you, I mean, sometimes you, you just have to tell people about the dangers of sin and, and, and what sinful behavior can do to you. But that always has to be in the context of the cross, because if you're telling people, you're pouring, uh, you know, condemnation of them and rightly so you're showing them what the scripture says and so what you are doing you you are legalistic because you're not pointing to Jesus because ultimately whatever we preach even those tough things have to be in the context of the cross and you have to say listen this is the truth the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal Christ uh, in Jesus Christ our Lord so that's that is that is preaching of grace grace doesn't just uh, cover over sin, gloss over sins and say, as some people say, well, there's no sin. You know, Jesus has taken all sin away. Everybody has already been made righteous. So it's okay. God loves you just the way you are. You know, there's little nuggets of truth in that. But the whole truth, the whole truth, the fact is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. But sin is yet still a very dangerous thing. Sin is sin and it has to be crucified. And the only way we can be free from sin is because of what Jesus Christ has done um, for us upon the cross. Because if we ignore Christ and his salvation, then there is no hope for salvation from sin. So what? So ministers of the new covenant doesn't mean we gloss over sins and we say things like, well, the Old Testament is obsolete. It's not for us today uh, because all that some people say, well, all that was said before the cross. So it's not for us. That's not true. The Old Testament is still the word of God. It is God's word and it speaks the truth, but its full interpretation can only be found in the context of Calvary in the context of the finished work of Jesus. So what he's saying is that we are ministers and dispensers of the preachers 
of a new covenant of salvation through Christ because we don't just talk about sin but when we talk about sin we actually are talking about salvation because when people see the consequences of sin they must also see the lifeline that Jesus Christ throws at them and the offer he makes of salvation that people even the worst of sinners doesn't matter what perversions that they live in they can be forgiven all their sins so that that is we are ministers of the new covenant not of the old uh, uh, you know because the old that is uh, is is the law is the letter of the law the letter is thou shall not and you do this you shall be put to death and you're going to hell that is old he says but the spirit gives life hallelujah he says we are not ministers of the letter of the law that means uh, of of the we are not ministers of the of the torah preaching the torah without preaching the cross because if you just look at the words of the torah as they are that thou shall not the the you know and all that uh, there's very little hope there but when you bring in the full picture of what christ has done for us upon the cross then people begin to understand sure these things are sinful they are abhorrent before god but jesus christ offers of salvation so th- what i'm saying is that the old covenant and the law must be preached we can't ignore it it must be preached but it must be preached in the context of the cross in the context of the salvation that is offered to mankind through the blood of jesus so so in other words what we have to do is that the letter kills the spirit gives life so we don't preach the letter of the law but we preach the spirit of salvation we preach the word under the anointing of the holy spirit so i have this sentence we have to move our pulpits from mount sinai to mount calvary move your preaching your pulpit move your preaching from the letter of the law to salvation that is in Jesus Christ who uh, because in mount sinai the law came down but in mount calvary Jesus died for those who broke the law just remember that on mount sinai the law came down and it came down with smoke and thunder and a lot of scary stuff but at mount calvary Jesus gave his life and died for those who broke those laws that Moses came down with on Mount Sinai. So anyway, let us uh, we'll continue again tomorrow let's preach pray together. Father in the name of Jesus, pray for my brothers and sisters. I thank you for the revelation of your word of God, uh, of your word Father that you put in our hearts cause us to walk with you in a way that pleases you, that gives you glory Father that we may bear much fruit for you. Thank you Father. We thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you Jesus. You bore our sins, carried our diseases and through you we have eternal life and we have everything we need and we honor you. I bless every family, every person that is hearing me. Thank you Father in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you and I'll catch you again tomorrow.